I remember that that same state senator, I texted him afterwards and I was like, how did it go? And he said, I saw the best and worst of Milwaukee in a span of two hours. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in the important, beautiful, and complex American city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. My name is Ashley Benson, and this is my first solo episode. Today's episode not only marks the first time the Bridge City Boys Let Me Go Solo, but also highlights an important woman and organization that ensures communities are participating in our democracy in a way that flexes their agency and voice. Angela Lang is the executive director of Block, Black Leaders Organizing for Communities. Block gives power to everyday community members who are sometimes overlooked and not always reached by politicians or community leaders. They recently celebrated their year and a half anniversary, and it is incredible how impactful and important Block has become to Milwaukee. I'm so glad Bridges City was able to sit down with Angela and learn more about the work happening in our communities. Without further ado, here is Angela Lang. Well, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks and, for having me. Yeah, and if you could just introduce yourself for our listeners, tell mm-hmm. us who you are. Yeah, I'm Angela Lang. I'm the executive director of Black Black Leaders Organizing for Communities. I tell people all the time I'm born and raised in Milwaukee. I actually grew up down the street from here on 32nd in Wisconsin. Oh, wow. So, close. yeah, it's like very <laughs> familiar to me. I um, went to college at UW-Milwaukee and... You know, Milwaukee's home. I, I chose not to live anywhere else. I've had other opportunities to, to go somewhere else, but I love Milwaukee so much. I tell people it inspires me and breaks my heart. There's a lot of complex issues, there's a lot of complex people, but there's also a lot of beauty in Milwaukee, which also kind of led me to doing the work that I do now. Speaking of the work that you're doing now, mm-hmm. um, could you share with our listeners the vision of Block mm-hmm. and how you all show up in important spaces in Milwaukee? Yeah, so Block is new-ish. I don't know how long I can say we're new, but we're about <laughs> a year and a half. We really wanted to make sure that we were building long-term Black political power here in Milwaukee. You know, we saw what happened in 2016 and Black voters not coming out to vote. And, you know, there's a lot of blame, you know, quite frankly, placed on our community. And so we wanted to make sure that we didn't wait around for a campaign or a party or a candidate and that, you know, we wanted to engage voters and the broader community ourselves. And we wanted to make sure that we're advocating for thriving communities. So we knocked doors on November 29th, 2017. A lot of people thought that we're going to start knocking for particular candidates. We said, nope, we wanted to make sure we're starting to talk to to people and just like build that trust because the only time people are engaged is a couple weeks before an election, it's usually transactional, and it's not, you know, a meaningful conversation. And so we wanted to build that trust back. And so we asked folks, what does it look like for the black community to thrive? We heard everything from potholes and speed bumps to healthcare and youth programs and jobs and mass incarceration, everything. We've we've heard it all. (laughs) And so we wanted to make sure that we're equipping people with the tools and the resources to be able to advocate for themselves, whether it's fixing that streetlight that has been broken forever, or if people are saying, you know, we have too many cops patrolling our communities, it's, we don't really feel comfortable with that. Whatever it is, we want to make sure that we're organizing folks and we're doing deep political education because 
a lot of people don't know the difference between a state senator and a U.S. senator or the common council or the county board and how all of that works. We just kind of see the effects afterwards. Mm -hmm. But what does it look like for us to be proactive and know how the system works and then being able to advocate accordingly for that? Yeah, that's awesome. So going off that, so it sounds like you're not just working, you know, before the big big elections. You're (laughs) doing things on the ground all the time. Yep. Could you share some success stories that you found through that? Yeah. So with last year being our first full year up and running, we had three elections. Everything was go, go, go. We didn't really have a chance to, you know, really flex our organizing muscle that we know that we can have. And so, you know, we we did our field programs differently. People have seen a paid canvas program and it's, you know, very transactional. It's like, here's your literature, go get X amount of votes for this candidate, and then that's it. But we really wanted to pour into our, our folks. You know, we don't call them canvassers, they're ambassadors, because they really are the ambassadors of the organization. We do about an hour of political training, so they even know about the office that they're talking about, not just vote for candidate X, but let's actually talk about what the sheriff's department does. Let's talk about the roles and responsibilities, and then being able to bring the, the candidates into it as well. And so afterwards, we all got kind of close. I'd never seen that in a paid canvas program. And um, they're like, okay, so so what's next? And then, you know, we were trying to figure out what's next. So we did a fellowship program. Oh. And so we had 11 fellows. And it was an eight-week program. And it was, you know, a deeper dive into organizing, a deeper dive into the political system. But it was also hey, let's build your resume. Let's teach you how to do a cover letter. Let's talk about email etiquette and when to hit reply all and when to BCC people. (laughs) We all need that. You know, like some of these things, you know, when you're hiring folks from the community, some of these things aren't really taught. Some people just haven't had that level of investment. And so we wanted to make sure that we were adding that layer. And then after the fellowship ended, people were like, okay, now what? And we're like, I don't know. know. Um, We'll figure it out, right? Uh, And so actually we teased out our ambassador program. So we have an electoral ambassador program, which was, you know, marked towards candidates and expressed advocacy for the candidates that we supported. And then we have a civic ambassador program, which we carved out in what we're currently in. So we have 19 civic ambassadors and they're out knocking at least 15 hours a week. So Monday through Friday, 12 to 3, they're in, you know, the office doing follow-ups. We're having conversations. We're updating our contact spreadsheets. And then from 3 to 6, they're out knocking doors in the community, building those leaders, finding those black captains. I always tell people, we know Miss Mary who lives on the corner house, that she knows everyone's business and everyone trusts her and she's a leader. How are we identifying those folks? So we're building out our organizing infrastructure, identifying and connecting people you know, in their own neighborhoods that they may not have known, and then start to really do some of that education on trying to figure out how we can, you know, make a change in, in our local communities, like I said, whether it's the streetlight or it's doing work around the city budget, saying mm-hmm. we want more youth programs, maybe we don't want 46% of the city budget going to the police department, maybe we want to divest some of that money and put it into mental health or the health department. So doing some of that work all in a nonpartisan way. And so when 2020 comes up, people feel prepared. Mm-hmm. I think 2020 is going to be a really big year. It's the calm before the storm. And so now we're able to do some of that organizing stuff in a way where people won't feel overwhelmed with four elections, mm-hmm. with the DNC, with the presidential election, with the mayor and the county executive and DA, everything you can imagine, everything yeah, is up. up. <laughs> you know, everything is up in 2020. So making sure people are prepared for that too. So I think going back to the question of like some successes, I think the fact that people are so engaged and they want to learn more and do more and be more active. It's been really cool to watch. It's been very humbling. Just in the last, you know, year and a half, it's been really cool to kind of see it all kind of take off. You hit on something that I was actually going to ask later, but Mm -hmm. since you brought it up, obviously 2020 is going to be 
very big year for Milwaukee yeah. and Wisconsin and all of that. Mm-hmm. So could you describe how some of your team is being proactive? So you mm-hmm. kind of touched base on it, but how are you all preparing and really creating those leaders so mm-hmm. that whenever people come here, you already are the face of a lot of what's going on. Yeah, I think what's really important when we're thinking about like the DNC or even the local elections is that we want uh, we have a responsibility to really have a conversation that Milwaukee will have a national spotlight, which is great. I, I love people being able to see you know, my home and see what I see. But I also want people to see like the very real challenges that we're having. Mm -hmm. And we're not just kind of sweeping that under the rug in order to make people feel comfortable for the DNC convention for a couple of days. And so I think now is a really big opportunity to showcase the complexities and the the beauties and the strengths and the resilience of Milwaukee folks, but be able to talk about it in a real way. And so, you know, being able to have a platform, have people feel comfortable, having a conversation with the mayor, having people feel comfortable, having a conversation with presidential candidates. We've had two presidential candidates already visit us already. And, you know, sometimes these are people that are not normally talked to. These are folks from like the hood of Milwaukee in the most beautiful way that are not shying away from making sure that they're heard. And so making sure that we are developing other leaders, we're educating folks on the power that they have. I think that's kind of really critical and really key is having people really understand the agency that they have within themselves that, you know, the system largely doesn't tell us that we have. A lot of folks, I think, don't don't realize the power that they have because sometimes it's very hard to see the change. It's very hard to sometimes participate. Or if you, you're working multiple jobs, you're a single parent, you're just trying to, you know, survive day to day, you may not be able to attend that community meeting. And so how are we also meeting folks where they're at um, and still kind of uplift and, and amplify and center their voices too? I have heard and read all about like what you all are doing and something that has always stood out to me is the creation of silent canvassing. Yes. Um, we actually have a participant out on doors right now. Really? Yeah. Great. So a local business owner. <laughs> yep. I am so curious of how that idea came mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. And then how that has been executed. Yeah, I love telling this story. Um <laughs> so it was right when we first started knocking doors back in November of twenty seventeen. And um, people heard that we were knocking in 53206, which is, for folks that don't know, is the most incarcerated zip code. And so we were at a holiday party for um, one of the partner organizations, and a state senator was there, happens to be my state senator. And he was like, oh, how's it going? How's it going? And we're like, oh, it's good. And he was like, what are you hearing? And but I had already had a conversation with the, the team that, you know, I'm really glad that people are asking what we're hearing. I was like, but also kind of hold on to this. You know, we don't want... Um, to just give up these, you know, these stories so easily and this this data that we're collecting without people actually doing the real work. Like we're the ones actually talking to people. Be cautious of how we're talking about it. So we're not just like giving it away. So people are like, okay, cool. Now I know how to message the black people without actually talking to black people, right? And so we go to this holiday party. State senator is like, how's it going? And uh, I was like, oh, that's great. And he's like, so what are you hearing? And keeping that conversation I had with the team in mind, one of the organizers at the time was like, well, if you want to know what we're hearing, you should just shadow me. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. And so we, you know, we followed up with his, he was like, yeah, I would love to. You know, this, the senator, is, is, he loves doing doors and he's from Milwaukee. And so he he was like, yeah, follow up my office. He gave her his card and was like, yeah, follow up and let's set it up. So we're like, okay, cool. And then sometimes Milwaukee politics can be a little tricky to navigate sometimes. And so we were like, why don't we just send this invitation to everybody so no one actually feels left out. We give this opportunity to everyone. And so um, we had a couple people sign up to do it. And then we were like, oh, well, 
we should do this on our terms. So we crafted an, an agreement and it's like no campaigning, no buttons. You will not be introduced as a elected official. You'll be introduced by your first name only. You have to stay silent. So, you know, we encourage you to talk to the organizer you're, you're shadowing in between doors and take advantage of that. There's a lot of different bullet points, but those are kind of like the big ones. And I remember that that same state senator, I texted him afterwards and I was like, how did it go? And he said, I saw the best and worst of Milwaukee in a span of two hours. Wow. And I was like, oh, yes. I was like, <laughs> okay, we're, this is like a thing that we should continue to do. Mm-hmm. And so like we sat on it for a little bit and we, you know, didn't think anything of it. And then I think it was about May. Yeah, I think it was about a year ago now. We had all these conversations with different candidates for governor. They were trying to get our votes. Uh, and we were like, we should make them do it too. And it was early enough. The primary wasn't until August. And so we were like, yeah, you want our vote? Come get our vote. Like, spend time in our community. So we we did a week that we, you know, blocked off. And we were like, all right, anytime, feel free to schedule something within this week. And we had to stagger it because there was only, I think there was like three people at the time, three staff that could do it. So we couldn't do more than three simultaneously because there just wasn't enough people. Right. And yeah, I think we had maybe about eight or nine candidates for governor do it. So then that, I think it was then when we realized we were really onto something. And then people just started ask, asking us to do it. We had folks from different partner organizations that wanted to do it. National like labor leaders that were in town that were like, hey, I heard about the silent canvas. You know, I live in DC now, but I would love to do this. And we're like, okay, you know, NPR ended up picking up the article and like the, the concept for it. And we were like, oh, this is, this is a Thank thing. <laughs> this is like a real thing. Um, and it got to a point where people, whether I'm in other states, people talk about it and people know it. And people are always like, is that something that like we can try and implement? And I tell people all the time, yes, take it. Like give us credit where it came from. <laughs> we want people to know it started in Milwaukee, yep. mostly by black women, right? And we want to make sure that we're, we're honoring that. But at the same time, if it fundamentally changes how people are interacting with communities of color, you know, in a real way and not just parachuting in, not, you know, listening to respond, but actually just listening, by all means, we tell people, yeah, implement it in other states. So yeah, it was kind of just this thing that that happened and we we didn't sit around in a room and figured out, but it, it definitely was on brand with what we wanted to do of how we're making sure that we're shifting the dynamic and really putting power in, in the people and in communities that are often neglected. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing that first at the Working Families Party mm. Women Run campaign. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then reading it on NPR and being yeah. like, wait, wait, yeah. is this the local NPR? I was like, this is NPR. It was a big <laughs> deal. It was, a, yeah. It was, yeah. It was exciting. I which think is, it was our first national profile piece, so we were really excited. Which is so cool, because your yeah. organization, as you're saying, is a year and a half, yeah. and all of a sudden, like, because of these ideas, yeah. and then implementing them, and giving mm-hmm. power and influence to those who are working with yeah. you, like, this is where it's leading, which yeah. is awesome. It, I think it just goes to show, like, if you give everyone an opportunity, then mm-hmm. we all have are like imprint that we can make. Right. Which is so exciting. Have any of the 2020 presidential candidates reached out to you? Yes. Yeah, so we have had two uh, do a silent canvas thus far. The two who already came? Yeah, the two that okay. already came. Um, <laughs> and then there's two, I think possibly two more in, in the pipeline. I've had a conversation with two other candidates. They're trying to figure out when they're going to come to Milwaukee. It's gotten to be this thing where... It's it's getting bigger and bigger um, every time we do it. And so we're like, how do we navigate this? Because we also want to be protectful and like making sure it's not this tour of Black Milwaukee where right. it becomes like this zoo spectacle and people are like, you know, we don't want it to be like yeah. that. So we have to be very careful of how we do this. 
But we said that for 2020 candidates, specifically presidential candidates, we will not be reaching out for the, to them. So for candidates for governor, we reached out to them and said, hey, we're blocking out this week, sign up for a shift. We are not doing that for presidential candidates. We felt, you know, you want our vote, come get our vote. Mm-hmm. You should have the resources and have your ear to the ground, um, whether you're having a state director or whoever. And so we wanted to make sure we were centering that power and we were not soliciting folks to do it just to make sure that we kind of retained that power and people mm-hmm. knew that they were coming into our community. Um, They weren't doing us any favors. In fact, like you need us. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to make sure that we were holding that and protecting that. And that was very important for us. Um, So people have reached out to us. It's gotten to this point where a lot of my friends will like inbox me or text me and say, hey, did you know, I really like this candidate. This is my chosen candidate. Did so-and-so do this yet? And I was like, nope. And they're like, do you mind if I reach out? And like people are tagging their candidates on Twitter and saying, hey, I support your candidacy, but like if you come to Milwaukee, you have to talk to Block, you have to do a silent canvas. So like we're starting to see some of that. That's so cool. It is really cool. Like people are advocating on our behalf because we also were like, well, if we're not going to solicit, is anyone going to like do it? But then also we know that candidates track each other and watch what other folks do. Um, so I think sometimes it's also taking off. They've seen two other candidates do it. And I think too, what's really important is that there's no way to win a statewide election whether it's for governor or for president, without going through people of color in Milwaukee. And like Block has a very real role in that. And if you have any political analysis, if you have any political team, you should know that. And so, um, yeah, we're really humbled and really excited to, to see how many more do it and how many we're able to host. I told people, I'm like, look, it's, it's too early. I don't have a favorite candidate at all yet. Um, but I do have a lot of respect for people that want to do doors in communities that are often neglected. Like that speaks volumes to me. Um, Cause there are some candidates now, there are some local, you know, elected officials. Sometimes you wanna know like, when was the last time you've knocked a door? Right, um, and so to have presidential candidates spend 45 minutes to an hour, just get a, a glimpse of, of what it means to be black in Milwaukee, to be black in Wisconsin, I think is really important. You have been part of a lot of campaigns and organizing, <laughs> obviously, um, yeah. and something that I really respect is that there is a movement or has been a movement for getting more women in leadership roles on staff in Mm -hmm. particular. Um, It's really important to have women candidates, Mm -hmm. but it's also really important to have women behind the scenes and really building those campaigns. Could you talk a little bit about what you've done in the campaign management space Mm -hmm. or campaign space and how you view uh, women in that role and women of color in that role. Yeah, it's interesting. I did the bulk of my campaign management in 2016, the spring of 2016. I don't know how, it, it wasn't a thing that I sought out to do, which is always really interesting. Actually, none of my career I sought out to do, so I'm kind of just here. So like, I mean, I get the question all the time. It's like, how did you get here? And I was like, I don't know. I kind of just fell into it, which is, I think maybe could be encouraging for folks yeah, <laughs> that like, you know, you can just work your way and it just happens. Yeah, I didn't intend to. I had a good friend of mine she you know ran for county board and I was helping her I was helping her like put together the pieces and then we were looking and searching and searching and searching for a campaign manager and she was like why don't you do it and I was like I've never run a campaign before which like is was also very weird because I'd been through the emerge program at this point I'd been through a couple other trainings I've help lead a couple trainings like behind the scenes but I never had like the full title of campaign manager or that pressure and responsibility so full disclosure and a moment of of vulnerability like I suffer from imposter syndrome like a lot that I think a lot of women and women of color in the society is always making you feel that you are not good enough so I I questioned myself even though this is a good friend of mine it was you know county board race I wouldn't say it's not important but it's not 
super high stakes, but still equally important. And so I was like, all right, screw it. Sure. I, <laughs> you're my friend. Like, whoever, who best to figure this out with than a good friend of mine? And we lost. And it was one of those those races where it was really important to have kind of that friendship and to be able to have a person who you knew you could ha like just count on and could be that ear. Being a candidate is tough. And I say that as someone that has never been a candidate, I can only imagine you're putting your whole heart and soul and your family and your life in, in a public uh, capacity. So being able to have that person that you can just call and, and they relate to you and they can listen to you or the person that texts you and said, hey, are you on doors today? Yep, you're on doors. Great. Did you eat yet? No? Okay, I'm going to bring you some granola bars and some peanut butter that you can keep in your car and a gallon of water because it's hot out, right? I, I've been that person. And, and I think what's, what's really interesting is how I think women kind of approach the the campaign manager. I think we're, we're full people. If people want to always stereotype us as like being emotional cool, great, we can use that to our own advantage. I think that's um, that's important. You know, I think sometimes politics can be very rigid. And how are we bringing, whether you're a woman or whoever, how are we bringing back the humanity of politics? And that means caring for your candidate. That means caring about their well-being. And it's also meaning caring about like their platform and the issues. And so I think representation fully matters, both on, in the spotlight and behind the scenes. I tell people all the time, not everyone is built to be a candidate. People have asked me if I'll ever run for office. Eh, maybe. I don't know. I like doing the stuff behind the scenes. Uh, some of my friends, they like nickname me like Olivia Pope. And I'm like, <laughs> I like that. That's fun. Um, it's cool. She's got a great wardrobe and everything and just super smart. And yeah, smart. Good at her job. Exactly. Stuff done. I'm like, I'll take that. Um, but also very complex at the same mm -hmm. time. And so I think it's important to, you know, have folks um, whether it be women or non-binary folks, whoever, that really just think about not just the mechanics of of how um, a campaign is run. I think a lot of people can teach the fundamentals in the textbook, but it's really bringing that added value, that emotion, and not saying that women are you know full of emotion, but you know bringing that that passion. And and I think there's a we're living in an interesting time right now where I think women's voices and um, people of color and trans folks and non-binary folks are trying to be silenced in like a systemic way. And how are we pushing back? Whether we're the ones being out there, putting ourselves out there, being a candidate or, you know, talking about issues. I think it's it's very clear. We even see in the current governor, a majority of his staff is women and he prides himself on that. And I appreciate that. I wish he had a little bit more women of color, but you know, that's something you haven't really seen before. And what does it look like when women are making decisions? We see how things are, are manifesting a little bit differently when women are calling the shots, quite frankly. And, you know, we've had a long time where a lot of dudes were running stuff. So let's, you know, give us a try for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all on board for that. Yeah. <laughs> like men get sit down for a little bit. Yeah. Um, going off of that, I think that we have been, women, trans women, non-binary non folks have been systemically oppressed like you've mm -hmm. talked about something i have found as as a white woman at least and mm -hmm. i'm very i have a lot of growth and a lot of room for improvement myself and how i navigate this world and how i show up in this world um something that i would love to hear though is and get advice from mm -hmm. is how do you interact with folks who might say problematic things whether it's mm -hmm. explicit or mm -hmm. implicit that goes 
into this oppression Mm -hmm. and suppressing a voice. How do you navigate that world? Mm. How do you redirect? And how do you um, keep that humanity though? That's a big one. (laughs) That's a big question. Um, Start with like, how do you navigate it? Um, I think the the short answer is like, I, I just have to. Right. And so it's like a means of survival. Like, this is my life. I, I work in organizing and, and politics. Like, I have to figure out how to navigate it. Um, I wish I didn't have to, but it's just one of the things I just do. And so I, I, I figure it out in the moment how to navigate it. Um, I think the, the biggest thing for me is, you know, we, we did this as like a team at Block, too, is really trying to understand the core of someone and what is in someone's heart. Because right now our office is like a conference room like this and we share a table. So like there isn't getting up and going to an office and closing your door and ha- and cooling off for a couple minutes. Like we're dealing with stuff in real time. Like if someone is mad, like they're on the other side of the table fuming and we have to talk about it, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, what worked for us is like, we wanna know each other so well. I'm not saying we all need to be best friends. It, it works out if, you know, it does, end up being like a, a family but if you know what's in someone's heart if someone does slip up and make a mistake um, we can hold each other accountable and we don't take it personal we've had several times like that myself all of us in the office where we said something that we probably shouldn't have and that was you know layered in our own privilege and um, we've all kind of corrected it and we've had a conversation about it and we don't think badly about you know the person that said it because it's like I know your intention I know your heart there may be a generational gap of why you know terminology changes all the time language changes all the time especially nowadays and so we find ourselves like constantly educating each other and coming from a place of love and that if there is if you are criticizing someone it's because i love you um and it's not even a criticism it's you know constructive feedback right um and it's coming from a place of love because i want you to be better that being said that's like that's the good ideal way to do it i would be lying if i said everybody was like that in in the work that i do and quite frankly, there are people that I know that no matter how many times you tell them that they are privileged, that they, you know, maybe should take a step back in meetings or, you know, that they're taking up too much space or they're they're dominating or, you know, just how they're executing their programs or, you know, do they only have like straight white men that are making decisions while their people of color are entry level? Um, being able to, to, to see how that's executed, sometimes you're just not going to win them all. You know, there are people, I think if people acknowledge that they're growing, like you just mentioned, like I have a lot more work to do and how I show up and walk through the world, then I think that's, I get to know, okay, you mean well. It's kind of the intent versus impact type of phrasing. Um, If every single time I try to have this conversation, I'm being talked over or I'm, I feel like I'm being condescended, there's just not an avenue. And sometimes like, I just, I'm not going to do that emotional labor today or ever. And that might be a choice that I make. Um, and there are some people in this in the the progressive space, which I think is even harder, right? Because people are supposed to be progressive or you know doing social justice work. You think that they're going to be better, and there's assumption that they will be. But it tends to be that's where we have the most work to do. And so yeah, I think there's sometimes you can just try to work through it. Sometimes um, you try to call it out where you see it, and you try to hope that there's meaningful change. I've been in spaces where I've been the only person of color, not only the black, the only black person, but the only person of color as a whole, the only woman, the youngest person in the room. I've, I've played that role. And it's it's very hard to always have to be that one to hold folks accountable and say, hey, we're better than this. Um, I'm tired of being the only person of color in the room. And those spaces and those conversations aren't easy. Sometimes they're very isolating. Sometimes you have to do the organizing on the on the back end. Like if I know 
Um, I have friendly faces that are going to be in the room. I'll text them and like, hey, I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to need you to back me up when I call this out, right? And there's there's a couple actually like white dudes that I know that I'm like, I'm going to do a thing. And like, I can trust them that they will validate it. Um, And they will also amplify my voice if needed in a way that's like not mansplaining either. And so being able to do that, but I've I've played that role. I I feel like sometimes I'm viewed as like the angry black woman because I have to do that work. You know, I I know people hate the term like angry black woman, myself included. I I hated that term. I felt like it was a stereotypical just, you know, trope that was unfairly placed on me just because I was more active. But it's also become like this kind of reclaiming this like term. And if I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be angry because I have every right to be angry. I am a black woman. Um, You know, that's not reflective of, you know, I'm not, you know, angry because I'm a black woman. It's like, I'm angry because of this room and I get to express that and and show that. And so it's, it's difficult. It's, it's a role that I've kind of just navigated and it's, it's hard. You know, I will admit again, another moment of like vulnerability, I'll have these conversations in these rooms with these like statewide partners and then I'll go home and cry. Like these are not easy spaces to be in. um, And they, they feel isolating and you, you understand and you feel kind of the weight and the pressure on it. Um, Because, you know, I was telling someone recently, I was like, I'm not normally this angry. I just, that's the role I have to play in these spaces because I need to hold that space. But like, I have to be very firm and I'm very much protective, you know, as I mentioned in like my introduction, like I'm from Milwaukee, born and raised. I have like so much love. And so I, I feel a sense to like protect my people and like my communities and just the space that we hold. And so if that means I have to be a little bit more aggressive and firm, that's a role I, I've stepped into. And as uncomfortable as it is, I'm like, well, if no one else is going to do it, I, at least I will. And then, you know, I could try to organize some folks around me, but it's hard. And, and I, I guess I'll, I'll kind of close with that, with saying that, like, it's, you know, I want to see the best in everyone and try to have these good intentions. But sometimes people just, no matter how many times you set them down, they will just not understand. And so for your own, you know, mental health and like well-being, sometimes you just need to figure out how you navigate that space. Are you in a position where you don't need to always interact with that person? Or can you Maybe sometimes you solicit the the good old white man and say, hey, I need you to talk to this person for me because I just, I can't get through to them. Um, but it's hard, but you know, there are some really great days and there are some really difficult days if we're being honest about it. Going off that, on the kind of the flip side, what do organizers, activists, white folks who are working in the anti-race mm. um, space mm-hmm. or on the left or progressive, but still have this veil of whiteness mm-hmm. and veil of privilege, what do we need to know when mm. we show up into spaces? Mm-hmm. I think uh, the first thing I would say is like being an ally um, and no matter what form, like myself being an ally to like the immigrant community or whatever, whatever way you show up as an ally, it's a constant journey, like always researching. Um, I would do like a little bit of like an ally training to some folks every year. And I'm like, it's not like this badge that you just wear. And I'm like, I leveled up. I'm an ally today. Like, that's just not how it is. You're, you're constantly evolving. You're constantly learning. And so with that, I would say being open to, you know, feedback. Um, But then also sometimes people may not feel comfortable giving you feedback because they don't know if you're a nice white person ally, right? Um, And so if people aren't giving feedback, and that's totally fine because that also is emotional labor as well, um, really evaluate like how you're showing up in spaces. Um, You know, how much time are um, are you speaking? If it's, you know, like at an organizing meeting for a community that you aren't directly a part of, maybe you shouldn't be the one guiding the conversation about what, you know, someone should be doing or what a community should be doing. And so I think um, it's important to always like do this like self-assessment of how we're showing up spaces, how much space we're taking up. 
And, you know, a lot of times I think it's well-intended and people miss the mark. People are like, well, I'm speaking up for the voiceless. I'm speaking up for the people that don't have a voice. And I'm like, we, you don't have to. You can just pass the mic, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, how can you also kind of, like, capitalize and use your privilege as a way of benefiting other communities as well that you are being an ally to? So that's always kind of been, like, the, the new thing that I'm starting to see is because I think when people said I'm speaking up for the voiceless, that was very well-intended. They felt like they were doing a good thing. And then now that conversation kind of like evolved and like, okay, now just pass the mic. Like you can, like your privilege allowed you to have this platform and to have this microphone and you don't need to be the one to speak from it. And so I, I think that's just like a couple ways I think people can can think about what it means to be an ally. Also, if there's just like tangible resources that people can provide, right? Like there's um, different groups, you know, Surge, Showing Up for Racial Justice is a, is a really good group that I push folks to. Um, they often provide resources. If, you know, something were to happen in the community and there's a community response, they'll be there to support. There's like a meeting that happens. They may be the ones buying pizza or they may be the ones providing childcare and taking you know, some of those barriers off of of the community, because that's something that we have to think about in addition to responding to something that happened in the community. And so um, if are there tangible resources that people can, you know, provide, and then making sure that we're amplifying folks, not in like a, you know, someone said this, I'm going to say the exact same thing, right? Mm-hmm. But like, how are we amplifying? How are we taking, you know, those that are directly impacted in the, the messages and the voices? And how are we uh, using our networks to amplify that too? Bridge City is nothing if not for action steps. Mm-hmm. So could you just leave listeners with what action steps you think they could use to tangibly get involved with their community? Yeah, I think being able to just listen, I think is, is really important. Getting plugged in with whether it's a local organization or being that person th- to start the organization. You know, I didn't intend to, to start Black a couple years ago, but it Current events led me to do it. And so I think, you know, really evaluating how can you support what's already happening. And if there is nothing and you feel that, you know, so inspired to just do it, sometimes you take that on yourself. But I I definitely encourage people to plug into different organizations, whether it's plugging into us. um, We have a website. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us at um, blockbyblock.org, you know, or, you know, just being able to, to support other folks that are already doing the work. I think right now, as we mentioned before, like we're in really interesting times and, you know, people need that support. People need that validation. And so just really evaluating how we're showing up in spaces and then also being able to provide tangible resources if there is a a gap or a hole. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thank you. summer, I had the privilege of taking part in the Working Families Party day-long training for women interested in being campaign managers. That is the first time I met Angela and learned of Block. Then and now, I am impressed with how intentional the organization is as they navigate the landscape while also going with their guts on how to continue growing. I love that the silent canvassing concept has taken off around the country and how Angela lifts up the ambassadors who created that concept, saying, yeah, please implement this in your city and remember that black leaders in Milwaukee created this idea, exemplifies the importance of collaboration across networks while highlighting local accomplishments. Well, folks, thank you for listening to my first solo episode with Bridge the City. Shout out to co-creators Kyle Hagee and Ben Rangel for always believing in your team members and allowing us space to grow and build upon this platform. Thank you, Angela and Block, for taking time out of your day to sit and chat with Bridge the City. 
If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes and leave a comment. This helps others find the podcast and start taking action in our community. If you've already rated and subscribed and are looking for a next action step, consider becoming a patron today at patreon.com slash bridge the city. We all invest time, energy, and money into creating this podcast and are excited for the expansions coming this summer and beyond. Finally, thank you all again for listening. We'll talk to you next time. And as always, please let us know how you are helping bridge the city. the city.